Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Kicking off a brand new week here, Rhino. Ending up one month with two to go. True, true. Yeah, Halloween it is. It is. It's the spooky day. <laughs> I. uh I had to go to the doctor this morning for a little little deal, no big deal. But uh, several of the nurses were all dressed in costume. <laughs> <laughs> Cleopatra provided services <laughs> this morning. <laughs> uh, another was dressed as Maleficent. So it was pretty cool. I can't Can they really them. accurately get, take your blood pressure if they're dressed <laughs> like Cleopatra? Well, it happened this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it was just weird, but it's pretty cool in the spirit of things. We are just a couple of days removed from what was the big day in the capital city, the Jackson State University Tigers welcomed a Southern University to Memorial Stadium, downtown Jackson. They put a whooping on them. Man, of course it was ESP. In game day, in town for the big, the boom box, right? Isn't that what they call it now? And uh, Jackson State blanked Southern. Shut them out. Dion's got it going on, doesn't he? The boom box classic. Quite the historic weekend. 53,000 fans in the vet. Undefeated now, Jackson State, number five. Their number one defense shut out the Southern Jaguars. Best start in the program history. I think the faithful believe they showed out. It was good. Coach Deion Sanders bringing the energy to the Tiger program. So, big deal. That's cool. They see Mississippi State off. But they will travel to Auburn? I believe so, yeah. Ole Miss traveled uh, to Kyle Field over there, uh, Texas A&M. With the world's weirdest cheerleaders. The whole, the the entire university is just absolutely just filled 
with all sorts of strange traditions. Certainly, now, I call them strange. A&M people may get mad at me for referring to them, describing them with that adjective. How about unique? They're certainly unique. No, I, I'd call it strange. <laughs> okay. Have you seen the little weird one-inch push-ups they do? Yes. <laughs> uh, now, what's with the cock and the gun or the hands? I mean, it's all so weird. It, it is really weird. Uh, and, of course, have you ever looked at the lyrics of the Texas A&M fight song? Can't say that I have. Well, I, I only did see if I can find it. Um yeah, I only did because one of my close friends is a University of Texas grad that lives here. And his son, my son, played baseball. Of course, my son played baseball out in Texas as well. But if you read the if you read the lyrics, it's pretty much just an attack on University of Texas. I and mean, they're obsessed with them. And they got all these they got their own language, right? <laughs> so the <laughs> the war hymn, as they call it, starts out with hullabaloo, hullabaloo, connect, connect, hullabaloo, connect, connect. What does that mean? <laughs> um, so in the second verse, <laughs> goodbye to Texas University, so long to the orange and white. <laughs> The eyes of Texas are upon you. That is the song they sing so well. So goodbye to Texas University. We're going to beat you all to sugar good real good. What is that about? <laughs> Imagine that in your fight song, where you've embedded this attack on a rival universe. One school, right? That is a, a weird debate with fight songs and traditions in colleges, especially when you start looking at really weird ones like A&M. Yeah. That was a trendy thing that they threw together a hundred years ago, That's probably, true. and it's just stuck. That's true. It'd be like if a hundred years from now, everybody on college campuses everywhere was using the word yeet to describe a forward pass in football. <laughs> it's... I'm telling you, they got their own language out there. And it's traditional, of course, it's customary to greet other Aggies with howdy. Do you know that? It's true. Go, go watch any video that features that, like how to speak in Aggie land, and it'll tell you. You got to tell people howdy. I'm not sure why exactly, but howdy. Hullabaloo, connect, connect. <laughs> I can't even pronounce this other word, though. C H I G G A R R O O G A R R E M. That's the word. <laughs> Shigarugaram, I think. <laughs> there you go. They only came up with that because it rhymes with the next line. Rough, tough, real stuff. Texas A and M. We ought to fire up the song. It's it's uh. No, it's just strange. Written at the same point in American history when barbershop quartets and <laughs> ragtime were all the rage. That's true. So, did you hear about this, though? Michigan, Michigan State had a little rough up yeah. in, in the tunnel. Michigan State players 
I mean, like, started going to fisticuffs in the tunnel. I thought they were supposed to go separately, so that prevented the risk of such an altercation. But there's, you've seen it, there's video all over the place, right? Oh, yeah. Of this. Sparty got whipped, then appears to have ganged up on a Michigan player in the tunnel, says a Twitterer called Reddit CFB. Mel Tucker is there trying to get his players to the locker room. This is, <laughs> it's just crazy. You wouldn't expect that. But again, why do they come out at the same time? You're, you're just asking for it. You do stuff like that. On the mean, in the meantime, on the political front, one week and one day away from the midterm elections, they're pulling out all the stops, are the Democrats. They got Barack Obama to go stump for them. And, oh gosh, I caught a little bit of that and listened to his, him spew his nonsense, and it, I just got my head in doing so. And then, of course, you got... Well, he did lose control of a crowd at one point. Where was that? I don't remember where it was. I just saw the video of him trying to quiet down the crowd with the uh, Let's Go Brandon chant. <laughs> okay. And he, he couldn't quite get him to, to stop. In oh, fact, man. it seemed to get louder the more agitated he got. Oh, gosh. Well, it, the look, the big thing I noticed... So yesterday, I was playing golf. I got done. I come in the clubhouse there. And on one of the, like... 42 televisions we now have. <laughs> it seems like it. It's a bunch. It's pretty cool, actually. In the 19th hole and so forth. I happen to catch... I don't remember the channel, but it, it uh, may have been like the Newsmax channel or Fox News Now or something like that. But it, it was a live broadcast of Joe Biden in Pennsylvania. And the sound was down, but I happened to notice just that that old man scowl that he often gets. Who's the who's the ventriloquist? Who's the character that he kind of <laughs> favors? You know what I'm talking about? The old guy that's got the, got his uh, his face all squinched up and the lines in his forehead. What's that guy's name? The the character I can't remember, but Biden kind of that's what he looked like. I mean, the veins were popping out of his head. And he was just, he was like shaking his fist, and he was just all mad. And so I turned it on, and it was, he was once again going through this whole explanation about how unfair are overdraft fees and airlines charging more money for additional leg room. It's just unbelievable that they're so obsessed with that. It just tells me they're desperate, don't have anything else to promote. Like, we're going to save you because you're not going to have to pay for those <laughs> upcharges for more seats, bigger seats and more leg room. Whoo, sheesh, that makes me feel better. Alden Johnson, candidate for the 4th Congressional District, will be our guest next on Middays in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
back with you in the Element Wealth Studios, kicking off a brand new week here on Middays. Yeah, the character was Walter. Appreciate everybody texting in about that. Uh, joining us now, Alden Johnson. He's a candidate for Mississippi's 4th Congressional District. Morning, Alden. Thanks for coming on Middays. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. So, is uh, Alden, is this the first time you've ever run for public office? It is. This is my first time. Awesome. So what made you uh, decide to get in this race, jump in this uh, race for House of Representatives? Uh, shortly after the 2020 election, I felt that I wasn't being represented by my current representation, and I felt that I could do a better job, and I still believe that. Gotcha. How's the campaign going? That's going great. Uh, lots of support. Uh, every day that I've had off, I've been out delivering yard signs. It's going good. Gotcha. How, how about uh, raising money? Have you been uh, able to do that? Do you feel like you need money? No, I don't. Uh, just word of mouth alone, I've raised about uh, $1,100 or so uh, total. It just doesn't feel right asking for money in these hard times. So uh, gotcha. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Tell us a little bit about where you stand on the key issues, and if you've been out and about, I'm sure you have, visiting with prospective voters in the 4th District. What are you hearing from them, and them, and how do you uh, intend to address their concerns? Um, legalizing cannabis on the federal level has been and still is one of my main priorities. Uh, once I am elected, I plan on having a quarterly town hall, so every three months, an in-person event where the voters of this district can come to me with their concerns, and we can talk them out. Gotcha. Are you hearing anything that aligns with what the polls are saying, such as inflation and crime and the border? What are you hearing about that? Uh, inflation is a huge issue for everybody. Uh, that needs to be addressed by cutting spending. Uh, as far as the border... We've got planes and boats now. The walls aren't working. I don't agree with seizing private property to put the wall. Uh, that's a whole other issue. Uh, there are better ways to address the immigration problem. Going back to a an Ellis Island type style of immigration system would be my preferred method. What do you think about uh, creating a path for the dreamers to become citizens? Absolutely. And uh, and that's what I mean by an Ellis Island type style of immigration. Uh, just an easier path. Uh, there are individuals that want to work. Uh, let's let them work. Gotcha. And uh, become part of this great nation. So I noted on your website, uh, Alden, that uh, the issue on the issue of taxes, you say that you support the elimination of the income tax, both at the state and the federal level. Have you done any work to try to see how that would change uh, what the government would look like from a spending perspective if we didn't have mm-hmm. any income tax? Have you got? Do you have an idea on replacing that revenue with another form of taxation, or would you just not send that revenue to the federal mm-hmm. government whatsoever? Well, that would be ideal, um, but it's not feasible. Uh, I propose a 10% flat tax and reducing as much federal spending as we can. Uh, National defense is about the only federal spending 
expenditure that I can see that's feasible. And we spend a lot more on things other than just national defense. So, uh, yeah, let's bring it down just to national defense and uh, let's cut most of that out. I see. Do you have a, a figure in mind of how much you would reduce it by, what it, what we spend on it now, and then uh, the extent to which you would reduce it and how that would impact our deficit, our debt, and the amount of money we collect in taxes? No, I do not. All right. So you said that legalizing cannabis at the federal level, that if, if I'm representing you accurately, you say that's your top priority. Yes. Is that right? Well, how do you yes. see that working? Yes. What, what, what uh, I guess, what is the reason for you to put that at the top of your list? Um, one of the issues is the freedom issue. Uh, nations such as Canada, whose active duty military, uh, they're allowed to use it responsibly off-duty. And uh, an issue that just doesn't sit right with me is that we're looking for a plant. When it comes down to it, that's the issue. Uh, we shouldn't be throwing people in cages. That's a lot of taxpayer dollars uh, going to that. And when you say it out loud, in my opinion, it sounds silly that we're locking people up for a plant. I see. Uh, and you're, you said you're hearing that a lot across the district, that folks uh, consider that a, a high-priority issue. Is that right? It is, yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Almost everyone I've talked to. Uh, you've also listed health care on your website. You say you believe that, and I'm reading from your website here, that insurance companies unnecessarily drive up the cost of health care and prescription. So you're an advocate of primary direct care. Can you explain that to us and tell uh, us yes. what you mean there? Yeah. Direct. Uh, direct primary care. So just like how federal student loans drive up the cost of college tuition, uh, insurance drives up the cost of health care. And so there's a health care model called the direct primary care health care model where insurance is cut out of the equation. So you go to a physician or general practitioner and uh, you set up a payment plan with them and it ends up being cheaper for the healthcare provider and it ends up being cheaper for the patient in the long run. So I just like to advocate that once more people understand uh, that type of model, uh, I think we can start getting the uh, lobbyists out of the insurance industry to uh, reduce the price of healthcare overall. What about the 75 million Americans on Medicaid? How would you handle that? Uh, I do have a plan to uh, transition Social Security to a a Roth IRA type account with a higher return of investment, but I do not plan on touching Medicaid at this time. I am not educated enough, and I don't want to mess anything up for the people that are currently on it. So that is something that I will have to really look at as a separate issue. What about Medicare? Uh, that is also an issue that okay, fair enough. I'm going to have to focus on. I got you. Uh, so then I note jobs in the economy are an issue uh, on your website. Tell us what you think about that. Um, yeah, they are. I, uh, from the federal level, any job that I promote is going to be a federal job, a federal contract job that uses tax dollars. 
so when I looked at it that way, uh, we're going to have to be really careful about which uh, jobs. I, I just don't believe that governments can create jobs. People create jobs. So find ways that we can give people uh, that drive to create those jobs, uh, such as SpaceX that uh, transitioned the government spending towards NASA and diverted it to a private company. Uh, how would you differentiate yourself, Alden, from the other candidates in the race? Uh, I'm young. This is my first time running for elected office, and I've had boots on the ground talking to people uh, around this district. Um, okay. I believe I'm the candidate for the people. I see. Do you see yourself as holding any significant different uh, policy positions than, say, um, the candidate on the Republican ticket, Mike Ezel? Are you guys aligned? Are you far apart? How do you see that? Uh, we're far apart. Uh, you know, the GOP has their issues that they're all running on, and uh, the Democrats do as well. Uh, most of them are just the cookie-cutter uh, GOP policies, the cookie cutter Democrat policies, you know, like the America First or uh, things like that. But uh, I've, I've sat down and I've, I don't have a party that's telling me, hey, this is what you have to do. So I've been able to listen to what the voters have to say and create my own personal plans regarding that. Got you. Do you have uh, do you have a campaign staff that's helping you out? Uh, a lot of volunteers. Okay. No one uh, is on paid staff. Okay, fair uh, enough. It's been very humbling. Gotcha. Well, we appreciate you coming on Middays and uh, talking about your campaign efforts, and, and good luck to you on Election Day next Tuesday. Alden Johnson, candidate for Mississippi's 4th Congressional District. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me, Gerard. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll step aside for a break right here on Middays. We're coming right back. To middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. Bobby Pickett with a monster mash. Obligatory on this All Hallows Day, huh? So, All Hallows Eve, yeah. Uh, David and Macomb weighed in about, uh, I was just discussing the lyrics in the Texas A&M fight song. 
I, I just find it rather interesting that the second verse is nothing but a, a takedown of their arch in-state rival. I, I just found that intriguing. David says, I've been there at a baseball game when the Texas A&M University fans did that weird chant. They all stand, put arms around each other, and sway side to side. We didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it's it's interesting, no doubt. I, I just I do believe they may have, may have the most unique and maybe the most num in terms of the number of just weird stuff than any other school. It's just evolved easily. that way. Yeah, easily, I would say. It's evolved that way. I mean, you, you can get off into strange mascots and stuff, but yeah. as far as traditions, they, they seem to take the cake. No doubt. Like, Stanford actually is going to be without their Christmas tree mascot. Why? Because he's been suspended for the rest of the season after holding up a big sign that says, Stanford hates fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome! We need more of that guy. <laughs> Not suspend him. Make the sign bigger. Something certainly provoked that, I'm sure. Right? Yeah, there's there's got to be more to the story. <laughs> Stephen Starkville says, careful throwing stones about fight songs. Hotty toddy. Uh, T-O-D-D-Y there, <laughs> Steve. Not T-O-T-T-Y. <laughs> Not throwing stones. Just... Observing, analyzing a bit. Knock yourself out. Doesn't matter to me. It's just strange. How could you not look at that and say it's strange? I tried to be nicer about it. You're the one that said, you convinced me. No, it's strange. It's strange. <laughs> and like all those people in uniform, you know, aren't actually in the military. Right. It's, it did start out, I believe, as a military school. It's a land-grant school, like a lot. I want to say that his, there was a history there where it was. Um, got some strong connection to the military. But I, but the people you see in the khakis, I, my understanding is they're not actually in the military in any not way. Not I'm aware of, no. And, and the, the yell leaders or cheerleaders or whatever leaders, they call yeah. them in the patched-up overalls. <laughs> With all the different slogans all over it. Yeah. I know one thing. They got him an expensive coach that ain't doing too well. Right? Oh, yeah. And they're either stuck with him for a few more years, or they got to fork over a whole bunch of money to get right $86 million was the figure that I saw. And that, that doesn't really out. go down a whole lot for the next oh, four right. or five years. Right. Congrats to him and his lawyer. They negotiated one hell of a deal. His agent, right? <laughs> Yeah, Jeff Dunham, the comedian that had the uh, the little doll there. Walter. Walter. Right. The ventriloquist. I'm, pr- I'm telling you, go back and look at it, folks. He really d- is the spitting image of him in that particular speech yesterday. Which, if I'm not mistaken, <clears throat> Walter is one of Jeff Dunham's earliest characters. Okay. He, he got... Really popular, I want to say, in the early to mid-90s with his, is it green or purple? I know it was an alien or some weird life form named Peanut with troll doll-like hair that yeah. was hilarious. And that was Jeff Dunham's act for years. And then he started incorporating Walter as a 
kind of a, a different take on the ventriloquism, and now he's got a whole handful, a whole host of characters. He's really talented too. At that. That's that's <laughs> an incredible really talent. Hard. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch folks that do that, especially when they got two at a time. It's themselves and then two characters. That's just mesmerizing to watch that. But I don't know about this just clenching the fist and shaking the arms and and it's that scowling, yelling. Now, my wife says that we I just happened to share that story with her last night that that, that is a symptom, an indication of having some sort of problem, right? Clinical problem, such as Alzheimer's or dementia. Is that that you get kind of hostile like that? Is that right? Do you know anything about that, Rhino? Yeah, that's uh, a common impact on your life if you are suffering from any number of dementia-related disorders. Okay. Where you, you become easily agitated because you... You feel like you're still well within your faculties. You still feel fully functioning, but it's just not working out, so you get agitated. He sure looked it. And then, of course, who's on? And this was, of course, stumping on behalf of John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, who who uh, follows him, right? Goes to the same stage at the podium. He got that stupid black hoodie on again. What is up with that? I mean, if you've got a brand, you got to run with it. Well, he gets up there again, and once again, and I'm telling you, most of Joe Biden's speech was class warfare. It's just class warfare. Overdraft fees, like that's some sort of class warfare issue. And the uh, hidden charges on on uh, these ticket websites, Ticketmaster, StubHub, etc. That's big deal, you know. Is anybody really worried about that? I mean, I haven't not heard that. I, I get it. Maybe it uh, is aggravating, but that ain't going to change the price of food at the grocery store. They just, they won't acknowledge that that's even an issue. Then you got Barack Obama coming out. He came out and he's making the rounds. He's stumping. Now look, he's still got a very powerful brand. He is, I think, largely considered in the Democrat domain to be, I don't know if I'd call him the leader, but maybe the most popular, most respected Democrat, having been the president a couple of terms. Uh, still very popular. Still can draw a crowd. Certainly the best speaker they got. I don't agree with what he says. But he's pretty gifted at delivering a speech. But it was nothing but class warfare. Nothing. And he made some statement about the Republicans would rather give tax breaks to the rich than help those out suffering from the crushing debt of student loans. It's like, huh? That's, that's, that's apples and oranges here. I hate the word tax breaks, by the way. It makes it sound like the government allowing you to keep what you rightfully earned is a break. I'm giving you a break. You can keep more of the money that you lawfully, rightfully earned. That's not a tax break. That that is that concept has just always really aggravated me. And of course, when you once again, just from a mathematical perspective, when you when you look at um, 
when you look at how the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act enacted under President Trump affected individuals from a taxation perspective, well, from a dollar perspective, yeah, more of that went to the people who, guess what, paid more of the taxes. Kind of hard to give a break to people who paid no taxes. That's the old Jethro Bodine, not times not equal not. So, yeah, that's the way it works. Well, that's because we have a progressive tax system in this country, where the more you make, the more you pay. So, they just never explain that. The other thing is, he went off again, did Biden, about the 50 corporations that paid no taxes. And now it turns out, after doing some research, that like only 14 or 15 of them would be ensnared in this change, right? You've seen that, right? Oh, yeah. Been got some... fact-checked on social media. <laughs> and that's not surprising. Because well, it is a little surprising that it got fact-checked on social media. Well, that's true. And I'm not sure, honestly, that may be the, the uh, Elon Musk impact. Could be. Absolutely could be. By the way, they're melting down, are they not? <laughs> it's hilarious. All these liberal celebrities, I'm getting off the platform. No, you won't. You won't. I'm telling you. It's, uh, it's hilarious. Now... Elon's his plans to eliminate a large contingent of the staff already has a large number of the execs, right? The, the president, CEO, and the chief counsel canned. And he did it for cause. Which so, means they don't get their big golden parachute. Right. Now, likely that will, uh, that will result in some lawsuits. That will trigger some lawsuits. And then the lawyers will fight it out, and they'll get rich fighting it out. So it's the rich fighting the rich with rich lawyers fighting it out over who gets the money <laughs> at the end of the day. But, yeah, uh, termination for cause is different than termination for convenience under the terms of their employment contract. And it's extremely subjective, right? When you, when you start saying, well, I'm terminating you for cause, he's going to have to prove, likely in a court, what that cause was and, and what the legal standards are. is just complicated. We're coming back with more here. We've got Chris Wells from the MDEQ at 1105. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. I just moved in my new house today. Moving was hard, but I got squared away. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. So, yeah, it's hard to believe it's not far off here. Week and a day, the midterms, an ABC, excuse me, Ipsos poll recently conducted. The question was, what are the most important issues? Democrats, abortion, 29%. Gun violence, 16%. Inflation, 15%. Those are the top three. And then the rest uh, of the issues get a small amount of uh, priority. On the GOP side, the economy, 45%, inflation, 28%, abortion, 7%. Huge difference there. So 
Seems like Democrats place abortion at the top of their list of concerns. Whereas Republicans, prospective Republican voters, say it's uh, the economy and inflation. It's hard to believe the obsession there, in my view, with um, I mean, abortion. Try to balance it out. One should be, hopefully, a very rare occurrence. Right. The other is your weekly trip to the grocery store. Yeah. Unbelievable. How myopic do you have to be? I don't know. So three news organizations had a take late last week on the Fetterman-Oz debate. And once again, they're trying to spin this idea that any suggestion that Mr. Fetterman is unfit for office, you're being an ableist. I I never even heard of that term until, what, last year or so? That's been around for a little while, but it was usually only thrown around by weak-willed people on the Internet. I mean, it certainly wasn't main, used mainstream, used regularly. No. Never heard heard it before. So the Guardian... When the, when the garden varietyists and isms start losing <laughs> their sting, you have to find new ones. Ah. Well, they're good at that. Just fabricating new words. The Guardian says, a lens, this is a headline in an article, a lens of empathy... Disability Advocates on John Fetterman in Leadership. ABC News says, Fetterman and Oz debate highlights ableism in politics, advocates say. There you go, ableism in politics. This was the most stunning. The Charlotte Observer. Fetterman can do for disability what Obama did for race. Wrap your head around that. This is not just disability. I don't think most clear-eyed, fair people don't have an issue with a disability, provided it's not one that clearly causes a person to be unfit, unable to perform. And I think what Fetterman has... Puts him in that category pretty clearly. It's just amazing how we're given a pass on that. And honestly, forget that. Forget his stroke and his symptoms and his recovery period. Just look down the list at the issues. I mean, this guy is pretty radical. Now, if that's what the folks of Pennsylvania want, that's a different issue. It's a different debate. And it's disturbing, if you look at it, what he advocates for. I mean, it's very a very radical ideology, pardoning convicted murders, uh, raising taxes, decriminalizing fentanyl, pushing for heroin injection sites, letting everybody out of prison. He, uh, he is on record of saying he opposes fracking. He does want to in the filibuster so the Democrats can proceed with packing the Supreme Court and admitting Puerto Rico and D.C. as a state. And he's all Voting for federal rights. slavery reparations. Yes, that's right. Sure is. So it, there's a long list of radical policy positions that this guy holds that are the bigger issue, but unfortunately, because of his cognitive ability... And what just tends to 
Tatch or your focus anytime you see him speak. I think almost to some extent we're overlooking his crazy policy views. And we shouldn't. Man, unbelievable. Ben from Madison says, Speaker Gunn telling House members to make plans to be in Jackson Wednesday and possibly Thursday. What's your source on that, if you don't mind letting us know there, Ben? I'm going to see if I can text a couple of House members and see what they know about that. Appreciate you letting us know. <clears throat> How are we supposed to afford an electric vehicle? What a joke. This is a picture of a Hummer somebody sent us for sale, $189,000. That after a ten thousand dollar price drop, and it's used. It sure is. It's used. Got what sixty five miles on it. It's not bad used. But yeah, it's still used. right. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, don't forget, you get a seventy five hundred dollar credit to go against that one sixty six. Coming right back with Chris Wells from DEQ. And now. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Chris Wells, the executive director of the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality. Chris, thanks for coming in. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so we've seen in the news that uh, the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, is investigating the EQ over some uh, of the way it handled federal funds that are earmarked for municipal water systems. They're looking into the way you guys handle that. So explain this program, exactly how does that money flow from the federal government? Does it end up uh, at DEQ, and is it uh, up to DEQ then to allocate that money out? How does that work? Well, there's a couple of different programs that could be involved. Um, frankly, it's not real clear what they're investigating. Um, unfortunately, I, I can't talk too much about any of it because there are provisions of the, – the complaint was filed under Title VI of the Civil yeah. Rights Act, and there are provisions of Title VI that, law that prevent us from commenting publicly because it could be – perceived as retaliation and that in and of itself could be considered a violation of the statute so we have to be careful what i can say is that um there are there are a couple of different programs that are mentioned in the complaint the state revolving fund program is one of them the health department runs a revolving fund manages a revolving fund and we manage a revolving fund at deq the deq program is for um low interest loans to municipalities and counties and local government t entities for wastewater projects. And when I say okay. low interest, we're talking uh, the current rate is 0.8% okay. uh, over over a 20-year loan. And so um, that's one one program where federal funds come through DEQ, and it, it, it's a revolving loan fund. Okay. The other is the ARPA funds, and those funds have not yet been dispersed. We're still in the process of 
Uh, we received applications back in September, and we're still scoring and ranking those, and we'll be making an announcement soon as to which projects are going to get funded. Well, it's hard to believe that they would be investigating that. I mean, because you guys just started taking applications September 1, right? And, and That's that, correct. And they were open for a month through That's September 30th. That's correct. The city of Jackson finally got their application in they toward, did. toward the end of the period. They did apply, as I recall, seven different projects they submitted applications okay. for. So this is a program that provides matching funds Correct. to the municipalities or counties for these water projects, and the requirement, uh, in accordance with law uh, from, at the state level, uh, some $450 million, as I recall, was That's allocated right. to the program. And so the requirement was, okay, you can receive these matching funds from the city's one point eight excuse me, the state's one point eight billion dollar allocation from ARPA, of which they carved out four hundred fifty million to go in this matching fund program. But you gotta give us a plan. That's correct. To do it, right? That's, That's the correct. way it works. And and I'm sure and I think you guys uh, develop uh, essentially the specifications of what the plans need to look like. Well, it goes back to the legislation, which was a really good piece of legislation the way it, the way it came out. But it establishes a, a, a competitive grant program. Sure. So we've been okay. scoring and ranking projects, and and in fact, the first round of projects we can only obligate 180 million, 40 okay. percent of the the 450. So we know that there are going, and we got 430 applications. Accounting for about four hundred thirty-five million dollars worth of funding or requests, so mm-hmm. we know there are going to be projects that don't get funded in the first round simply because of the uh, the limitation on the first round. Yeah. Um, I I certainly hope that uh, that Jackson's projects. Uh, that they put in good projects and get funded, and I suspect that'll be the case. And whether they all get funded in the first round, I don't know, but that's all still being sorted out. I guess from a timing perspective, like you're investigating something you hadn't even done yet, right? So that doesn't make any sense. But let's, so let's look historically. You've got this this uh, revolving front fund that's been around a while. Are they suggesting that there there may have been some sort of unfairness? On the part of DEQ in, in in terms of allocating that money? That's the allegation. Okay. And uh, it just feels like that they're trying to insert race into the argument as well. Are you getting that feeling? Well, th- again, the complaint was filed with EPA's Office of External Civil Rights Enforcement under yeah. Title VI of the, of the Civil Rights Act. And as, as with all provisions of the Civil Rights Act, it prevents... Uh, this discrimination, either intentional or in unintentional, disparate impact uh, based on race, gender, national origin, religion, all those different categories of protected classes, if you will. But filed by the NAACP, correct? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So, my, that's my understanding. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's certainly what's been reported. Um, do you feel like the DEQ has, has committed any wrongdoing here? Well, again, I, I, I would love to be able to talk – in detail about it, I do think there's some inaccuracies in the in the complaint. Okay, um, but that's that's part of the investigation. We'll we'll have to let uh, let the investigation f- play itself out. We'll provide the information, all the information that we have uh, to show what we've done, and um, and and let the chips fall where they will. It just feels like that what they are at least alleging is that discrimination was at play here. I mean, so I just ask you directly: Have you ever seen any sort of discrimination on the part of DEQ in the administration of this program? No, sir. I mean, it's uh, it would be 
shocking to me to learn that there is. I don't see how the DEQ would benefit from that, honestly, or the state wouldn't. state doesn't benefit from Jackson being, uh, I guess, overlooked well, and, way that- and not being included in the use of these funds to make sure they got a good water system. Yeah, the, the state revolving fund has been one of our most popular programs over the years, uh, the decades that it's been in place. Okay. Um, it, again, it provides low interest loans. It, it it's not a grant program, right, but it I was established it. by Congress under the Clean Water Act, and it's a great program because the state puts up one state dollar, in return we get five federal dollars. Okay. And all six of those dollars go into a fund where loans are made, low interest. Yes, they have to be repaid, but they're at such way below market rate. Yeah. Uh, and then those funds are then – those repayments and interest on those loans then get loaned out again. And, again, I can't get into the facts uh, of the Jackson situation in detail, but I will say that Jackson has taken advantage of that program numerous times. Yeah, I mean, so that that really kind of fills a hole, and it's certainly better from a municipal perspective uh, on their balance sheet than it would be if they went and authorized bonds uh, in the market for that purpose at, at likely a higher interest rate. And then, of course, that, that uh, impacts their borrowing capacity as well. So this just sounds like a much better Matter program, which is why they're utilizing it. Of course, well, folks all over the state have used it, uh, yeah. taking advantage of it, and and um, there's. I, I wish I had the number in front of me. The hundreds of millions of dollars worth of loans that have been made across the across the state to communities, large and small. Has the DEQ been contacted yet by the EPA? Has any of this started? Um, we received confirmation that a complaint had been filed. Okay, um, and and. And I think it's important to understand that that complaint alleges certain things. EPA, the process is EPA then looked at that complaint and said, okay, does this complaint allege things that, if true, would be things that fall within our jurisdiction? And if so, we will investigate those claims. Mm. So what has happened thus far is the complaint was filed. They've, they've determined that those, if they were true – it would be something that's within their jurisdiction, so we then receive notice that they are investigating the claim. So that's as far as it's gotten. You may not be able to comment, but I just wonder if what this is about is uh, just trying to maybe probe the DEQ a little bit into making sure that uh, Jackson gets its so-called fair share under the ARPA program. I shouldn't. I should not. I probably shouldn't comment. Okay, that's yeah. fine. I, I, I get it. But this was also something that was uh, spurred on by Congressman Benny Thompson. He's he's behind this as well. And Carolyn Maloney, Representative Carolyn Maloney, Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York, they want to investigate, but they're also interested in understanding. It is it's my understanding that that both of those Congress people are interested in understanding how the state will allocate ARPA money. Uh, at, the, at the municipal level, under this, but this is a grant program. It's a little different. Well, the ARPA ARPA funds a, is a grant, grant program. program. They don't pay it back because right. it's money that went to the state that's from right. the federal government. That's right. And the state essentially passed a law that says, okay, we're going to carve out a big chunk of this, four hundred fifty million bucks, and, and we're going to uh, charge the DEQ with administering that program specifically for water, projects. water, water, sewer, and stormwater. Actually. Okay, so three ga- three different categories okay. of projects makes sense. Well, 
we'll be watching to see how all this uh, unfolds. I mean, it's fascinating. I um, honestly, in my opinion, I, I just don't even see how you could attach discrimination to such programs. But that I mean, it's a civil rights situation, is what they're it's basing what they're, it on. It's what they're investigating. Yeah, appreciate you coming on, Chris. Thank you, man. Thank you. Chris Wells, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality, has been our guest. We'll come right back in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do That rhino's all over it today with the music. The bumper music. Little Eagles, Witchy Woman. So we wanted to have Chris Wells, Executive Director of NBEQ, back uh, for another segment to tell us about an event or something you guys got going on, right? We do. Um, It's our Mississippi Restoration Summit. It's an annual event that we have in Biloxi at the Coliseum and Convention Center. Uh, It's November 10th this year. It's a week from Thursday. It's our annual opportunity uh, to showcase all of the coastal restoration work that we're doing. it starts with an open house at 4.30. Folks will have an opportunity to talk with uh, project sponsors and pick the folks that are doing the work and learn about the projects that are being done. Uh, we'll have uh, our evening session starting at 5.30. We'll have a big presentation where we'll give updates on current projects and um, announce the next slate of projects as well as, as uh, take input from the community um, for future decision-making. And, and we will invite folks to stick around uh, for a roundtable uh, co- community conversations, we call them, to have an opportunity to have a one-on-one face-to-face conversation to give us input on on projects they'd like to see us do in the future. So okay. it's um, it's a big it's our biggest event of the of the year, and it's been been well attended in the past. And we're still uh, last year was our, we took a couple of years off in terms of because of the COVID. We we had the the event, but it was virtual. This year it's going to be uh, like last year. We'll be hybrid. We'll have it. We'll Facebook live. Uh, but we'll be live at the Coliseum and look forward to having everybody there to to hear what we've got to say. Okay. All right, very cool. So you were you were telling me, uh, assuming you could share this, how much money the city has received through this revolving grant program since it's been around. Um, I believe the number is ninety-two million over the over the course of of a uh, couple of decades back dating back to the late 80s early 90s i don't have the number in front of me but it's and it's over a number of different loans but but i think it's about 92 million if i recall correctly have all the loans been repaid or is there some outstanding balance there are some that are currently in repayment are they current in their payment i believe so as far as i know so they're not delinquent not that i know okay not that i'm aware and you made a, a good distinction that i think it's important to understand chris that your agency your organization from a, a, a overall water domain perspective, is more involved with wastewater, That's w- water treatment, whereas is it true then that the drinking water and the water we consume, that the Department of Health 
has purview over that. Is that that's correct? Okay. That's correct. The health department regulates everything on the drinking water side, including management managing the state revolving fund program for drinking water okay. projects. Uh, that, and that was my next question. Yeah. So this revolving fund, you guys have some of it that's specifically earmarked for the wastewater side of things, and then they have some of it that flows through the federal government. That's correct. That's more for the uh, okay the provision of, of drinking. That's correct. And the two water. programs are, are are very very similar. I got you. Yeah, I got you. So are are they named as well in this investigation, Department of Health? Is it just DEQ? Um, the original complaint named several agencies, and DEQ and Health were two of them. And my understanding is that uh, EPA has um, accepted jurisdiction over the claims related to the Health Department and the claims related to, to DEQ. You know, what's a little perplexing is, given that these programs have been around for a while, they're legacy programs, they're not brand new, why now? I mean, if if they believe that there's been some sort of discrimination occurring for some period of time, especially after $91 million in change of, of loans, I mean, wh- why now are they investigating? I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah. Some, something obviously triggered it. And maybe it's just because they see the failure of the water systems, and, and maybe they're uh, deducing from that that, well, maybe that's because they're not getting their fair share of money through this program. Well, I don't know what might have changed um, in the last couple of years um, or or more in the, or in the last couple of months. Yeah. I don't know what may have changed it, that would trigger it's something. Fa- it's a fair question, I think, uh, you know, and I understand that I, I you know, anything you would offer would be an opinion. On well, it, it so, would be. Yeah. It would be, and I'm assuming that, that those kinds of questions are the kinds of questions that the investigators with EPA will be asking. Yeah. My, my fear is, and again, uh, I know you can't opine or, or uh, comment on this, is that th- this is just uh, political gamesmanship, and we're politicizing water, essentially, which is not in anybody's best interest, and I'm, I'm afraid that might be what's going on here. Uh, well, you told me that you've received, like, notification, but the heavy lifting with respect to the investigation hasn't started in earnest at this point. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I think they're just starting. Have you thought about who you might be assigning to that task to uh, accommodate um, the investigation, and or, or do you not know yet because you well, don't know the details of what they're looking for? We're we're looking at the allegations in the complaint, um, digging into them, trying to understand, making sure we understand, and collecting information. We we will provide. We're an open book, yeah, and we'll provide every piece of information that we have that sure. um, that EPA may want to see. Uh, we'll provide them information that we think they need to have. Um, and we'll leave the rest of it to them to to uh, ask any questions that they have of us. Yeah, uh, gross mishandling is is what I'm seeing in the complaint. Gross mishandling of the water crisis is the, is what's quoted. Uh, I I don't know how that seems very subjective. I'm not exactly sure what the standards are f- for that and how you go about proving that from a legal perspective. That seems uh, like a High bar. I think all of those are things that will be questions that will be involved in the investigation. Sure. And I will say that as far as the handling of the money, um, the, the program is audited. Okay. So, sure. Yeah. So uh, audited at the federal and state level? 
or, I, believe, I believe so, both. Yeah, because you probably got some state money mixed in there as well. Anytime that's the case, that's correct. And you got a state agency that's overseeing it, so then the auditor that's correct uh, has some rights in that respect. That's correct. And so you've had these audits, and I'm assuming there've been I know irregularities detected. They not, would be reported in the audit findings. Not that I'm aware of. I, I'm not. I'm not aware that we've ever received an audit finding. Um, yeah. I never say never. I've only been executive sure. director for three years, but. Um, okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, <laughs> incredibly uh, interesting uh, for sure. All right. So from a legal perspective, because uh, anytime you get into an investigation uh, and a complaint has been filed, that's that's a legal matter. Uh, who on the DEQ side are representing from a legal perspective? Well, we have in-house lawyers. Um, we're, we'll be coordinating with – there's multiple agencies involved, so we'll, we'll coordinate with the Attorney General's office also. And, okay. Um, we'll make sure we have the right people in place, so to speak. Okay. Um, fortunately, we have our own legal staff at DEQ and that are familiar with this program, and they're yeah. gathering information as we speak. All right. Well, tell us what else you got going on at DEQ these days. Um, well, we'll be hopefully announcing in the very near future who, which projects are going to get it funded in that first round for yeah. ARPA. Yeah. Um, and those are those those are in the restoration summit. Uh, that was that's uh, the the thing that's coming up next week. Uh, it's spending a good bit of time uh, preparing for that. Sure. Um, and then we've got. Um, our day job, if you will, sure. uh, protecting human health and the environment, all human health and, and the environment, and, and making this this uh, beautiful state we live in a place uh, for us all to be proud of and to take advantage of the natural resources that we have. Absolutely. So we've got uh, those legislators. They'll be back in the Capitol here a couple of months. In, anything on the boards that uh, you're in need of that you've been speaking to leadership about? Um the main topic is always funding. Uh, it's always the thing that's on everybody's mind, and we'll be talking to them about. Uh, they've been very generous with us in the last few years, or and um, we'll, I, I have no reason to believe that won't continue. We've got some, we've got some priorities uh, related to filling vacancies and making sure that we're adequately staffed, and so we'll be having those conversations. Well, that was going to be my next question: is, is how you, how's your staffing going? Everybody's got challenges with that. How's it going? Well. You know, we've done our part to 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 um, streamline government. You know, we've got fewer employees now than we've had since uh, probably the early '90s. Um, our one of our lowest censuses in a long time. We had our highest turnover rate in any one fiscal year last year. But um, but and we do need to fill some some vacancies. But we don't we don't necessarily. Uh, I'm, I'm not one that has advocated to staff back up to some of the levels that we had in the uh, late 90s early 2000s we just with the way business practices are these days we can we can do more with fewer people sure. uh, but we got to make sure that we pay those people an, uh, a living wage and uh, an adequate wage and 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 make sure that we give them the tools that they need to to be able to do their job but but we're we have really really good people at DEQ and um, we're out there doing the job every day well, um, just anecdotally, personally, I can attest to that, ha- having worked uh, with them quite a bit through the years from an IT perspective. We're, we're a great customer, and you guys certainly do have great people in our experience. Well, well I appreciate so. you saying that. So yeah. they're not just hearing it from me. No, nope, absolutely. <laughs> 
Chris Wells, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality, has been our guest on Middays. Thanks for coming on, Chris. Thanks Appreciate for, it. Thanks for Good having Good luck me. with the investigation. I'm sure we'll be talking some more about that. Thank you. Yep. We'll step aside for a break right here. we got half an hour in the studio today, then Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors with Ricky Matthews. Stay with us. I got a black magic woman who's got me so black as you can see. I got a black magic woman and she's trying to make a devil out of me. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Wow, I hadn't I hadn't heard that one in a while. You had to dig deep. Explain, please, what that is from. That would be from the one, the only Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah, gotcha. There are not many songs that are Halloween themed, so you got to kind of dig deep. Yep. So, Donnie from Pike County says the governor just tweeted that a special session for Mississippi legislators Wednesday. I did check in with uh, a couple of folks about uh, a special session, and they did confirm it, that the speaker had informed them. There's a couple of folks in the House. Yeah, might have to go in Wednesday or Thursday, but... Apparently, it's related to economic development, an economic development project. Rumors about one in the Columbus area. Yeah, the tweet says, Mississippi is on fire with the fire emoji. Yeah. From Governor Tate Reeves. His biggest economic development project in Mississippi history coming to the Golden Triangle. $2.5 billion of capital investment. I heard about a thousand this. jobs. Yeah, with a ninety-three thousand dollar average salary. Right. A special session to deal with it is scheduled for ten a.m. on Wednesday. And I'm not sure why we need a special session. That'd be interesting uh, to to learn what uh, is the the need there for government to act. Not sure. We will certainly see. I I did find out about this, by the way in uh, executive session in Madison County. I found out about this project. So a couple of months ago in executive session, which, of course, is not public information, and it, and it did um, meet the requirements for discussion in executive session, but it's now public, obviously, with the news you're reading there. So, okay, good. I hope um, that's the case. We need uh, all we can get. <clears throat> Did you ever go see the Rocky Horror at the Hoka in Oxford? That had to be around the time you were at Ole Miss. Yeah, Louie from the 662. I Actually, Louie, it had just stopped by the time I got to Oxford. But, uh, yeah, at the DeVille Cinema, which is not there anymore, I don't think, on I-55 in no, Jackson. No, it's not there. It, and it went on for a long time. 
like I want to say every Saturday night or something. It's a cult, right? It's a cult following, and everybody in there knows every word and every song. And you play along with the props that you either bring or are provided, <laughs> including the newspapers and the rubber gloves and the water guns and all the fun stuff. Yeah. Jeez. It's not many movies that you get to have audience participation. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's true. That uh, It's the only one I can remember where folks like knew everything, right? They had it all memorized. And they would stand up and act and gesture and sing and talk. I mean, it's unbelievable, really. And like you said, dress a certain way sometimes. I think the only other time I've ever seen audience participation even close to that level was I went to see uh, the Across the Universe musical movie that they made with the Beatles music. Yeah. And it was hard for people in the audience to not sing along with the Beatles music. Yeah, exactly. My friend had, had never seen the movie. It was like opening night, and nobody knew what was coming next. But as soon as the music started, oh, I know this they one. They know that, yeah. It's iconic. My friend Sharon and Brandon says, yeah, it was every Friday night at midnight at DeVille. I knew it was DeVille. I couldn't remember if it was Friday or Saturday. Thanks for that, Sharon. Uh, yeah, midnight. That's right. And the parking lot would be jam-packed full, right, of people at midnight. Incredible. Paula Meridian says people are already on social media complaining that the new wages for this project aren't fair compared to the wages for other people in the area. I I don't even know where to start. Well, I mean, it's about par for the course for social media. If you're not complaining, you're putting pictures of your puppy or your kids. (laughs) Uh, So what are they complaining about? The free market at work here? Uh, so here's what I would say. If, in fact, this organization, whoever it is, is coming in, and and it, apparently I, I have no, we have no reason to doubt the news. And by the way, that's the same figure I heard two months ago that I was talking about in executive session. Around 100000 is what was discussed. But so I don't know where they get the people necessarily to fill these jobs. If, in fact... They pull them out of existing businesses in the area. They're qualified, and they they leave for higher wages. Guess what the other businesses have to do? Raise their wages. That's the way it works, folks. I know when Amazon came here to Madison, their announcement, just their mere announcement, we're coming These are the kinds of people we're looking for. This is what we pay them and how many we're going to need. As a preemptive mood, some of the other industries and companies, in the county in particular, they increase their wages. Duh! It's amazing how it works that way. That's awesome. While we're on that subject, by the way, have you seen this, Rhino, that... I'm looking for the story. I remember discussing it a a while back. But in New York City, you're going to have to reveal the pay for positions you advertise for hiring. You've got to disclose that publicly. This is more central planning socialism government force garbage. They think that this will... 
combat pay inequity because of race and gender. It's a, it's a salary transparency law. goes into effect this week. requires nearly all job listings to include a pay range. It's ridiculous. It's aimed at closing gender pay gaps, which I've yet to find. I can't find any. I, this kind of stuff, just like the, the orders last week banning overdraft fees and higher costs for more legroom on an airplane, this is just another example of wage-fixing, price-fixing, government intrusion into the private sector. I, I completely oppose such policies. Uh, the market sorts this out. And every time the government gets involved, you know what happens? It dilutes the market forces. Every time. This is bad policy, bad law, and I don't know what's going to happen along these lines with the big employers in New York City, how they'll respond to this. Well, does it say you have to have a range? A range, yes. I mean, so well, and there's going to be a whole bunch of job listings with a range from a thousand to a hundred thousand dollars. I would think that. So I'm I'm looking here at, at one for Macy's, a big department store operation headquartered in New York. So they aber- advertising for sales and customer service managers with a range of fifty-one thousand to eighty-five thousand. As my dad used to say, I'd like to have everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Um, so, I, I just I just don't like it. Sorry. I disagree. I mean, it's just they're constantly inching into the private sector with more and more demands, more and more stupid regulations, and it's all in an effort to protect you. Right? Um, anyhow, it's all in an effort to protect you. And every time government tries to protect you, they worsen your situation. It's incredible. It's terrible. So, if they had their way, they would dictate to every single company who they hire, when they hire them, and how much they pay pay them, what they produce, how much they produce, what they charge for it, and who they distribute it to. That is classic Central planning socialism is what it is. This is an example of that. It clearly is. I don't know. This kind of stuff just aggravates me to no end. So Sky News in Australia, is uh, they're talking about President Biden coming out uh, in Pennsylvania Right on the head, the headline: The Dems are nervous. President Biden, in quotations, wheeled out in Pennsylvania. He wasn't wheeled out, but I guess what they're trying to say is they really didn't want to bring him out. He's not very good. He's he's not a great orator, and um, he's just shaky at best. <laughs> Said he wheeled him out. Amazingly, this is still anyone's race to win, says Sky News host James Morrow. I agree. 
We're coming right back with a final segment before Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Scrolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Ghostbusters. <laughs> Let's see. My goodness. What what they want. Just pay them and stay home. That's a good salary. Yeah. Talking about this new economic development project that apparently is uh, going to be discussed at a convening of the legislature in a Special session. We don't have confirmation on that, I don't think. Do we yet? Well, I mean, the governor tweeted it out. So He tweeted it, but I don't know that he's officially issued, I guess, the order to convene the legislature. But it sounds like it's imminent at this point. Yeah. We're going to discuss a big project up in the Columbus area. How many jobs? 1,000 jobs? Average pay, 93000 a year, right? Good stuff. Really good stuff. Randy and Starkville says... We know for sure that project is not extra office space for Twitter. I think that's fair to say. The meltdown of the liberals. By the way, just learned uh, about an hour ago, Elon Musk deleted his tweet concerning Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, who was involved in a hammer altercation in his home. San Francisco home, in the hospital, still recovering at this point, is expected to make a full recovery. But the conspiracy theories are spreading like wildfire. And they may not even be conspiracy theories. Don't know. Yeah, there is a certain level of fishiness to the whole situation. I agree. The politicization of it from the left and the conspiracy theory-minded people on the right have both already done their damage. Yeah, I don't know. Thomas wants to know why does it require special session just because a new business is coming. I don't know, Thomas. Uh, evidently, there's some business related to it the legislature has to take up, but I'm honestly not sure. So I, I hesitate to even offer opinion. If memory serves, this makes about six projects for north of Jackson in the last 10 years and none for south of Jackson. We know where we stand with our representatives. That says most. I don't know, Mose. I'd have to think through that. I think there's been some projects south of uh, of Jackson, but I'd have to think through it. Have there not been some on the coast, in the Hattiesburg area? Nothing comes to mind uh, off uh, the top of my head. But of course, you got Ingalls, which is a huge employer. Yeah, I was about to say Ingalls largest. has gotten some pretty big contracts. Yeah, I mean, and that, so that's. That's not necessarily a new business, an expansion of an existing business, but it's a whole lot of people that are working there because new projects have been awarded to the shipmaker, so the shipbuilder. Interesting. So 
One of the things that really tax breaks or land taking, says Thomas and Greenwood. I don't know. Could be those, those could be something the state would have to deal with. We'll just have to wait. I hesitate to opine. We'll just have to wait and see. One of the things that just really grinds my gears is this uh, whole issue of Social Security and Medicare, where a couple of Republicans have said, yeah, we ought to start having serious conversations, meaningful conversations about the the insolvency of these programs and how to ensure that they are on good economic footing. And that immediately gets taken up and twisted around by the left as they're wanting to cut your Social Security. This is what Barack Obama said yesterday. Some of you here are on Social Security. Some of your parents are on Social Security. Some of your grandparents are on Social Security. You know why they have Social Security? Because they worked for it. They worked hard jobs for it. They have chapped hands for it. They had long hours and sore backs and knees to get that Social Security. So does that mean that everybody that's on Social Security did some sort of physical labor? We have so few physical laborers in this country as a, as a component of the overall workforce. So first, that's just wrong. He goes on to say, and if Ron Johnson does not understand that, of course he was in Wisconsin where Ron Johnson is up for re-election for the U.S. Senate. If he understands giving tax breaks for private planes more than he understands making sure that seniors who've worked all their lives are able to retire with dignity and respect, he's not the person who's thinking about you and knows you and sees you, and he should not be your senator from Wisconsin. This tax breaks for private planes, he's talking about the ability to immediately expense that investment against your taxes, not for financial purposes. Guess when that was enacted, under Barack Obama, under the stimulus plan, as a way to stimulate such investments, because guess who builds all them planes? All these people he's talking about. These people are economic imbeciles. They're morons. They Either they know it and they just won't share it and tell the truth, or they simply don't understand the basics of economics. We are out of time here today from the Element Well Studios. It's Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors. Coming up next, back in the studio tomorrow. Until then, stay safe. God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.